We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapter 5 tonight. Nehemiah chapter 5. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our land and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, May he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year until the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. 
But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl, were prepared for me, and once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet, in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. That's a good word, brother. Thank you for reading that. I invite you to turn to First Timothy chapter 5 this evening. I found it a little ironic that this is where we ended up this evening, as we'll make mention of fathers in a little while in our passage. And I didn't plan that, it just kind of happened. And, uh, but there's much that we can learn from this passage, I know, as it's God's word, and it holds the promise of changing our lives to be more like Christ. And I pray that that is what will come of our time this evening as we look into his word. Let me just uh, offer a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into the text this evening. Heavenly Father, we ask now, in the time that we have remaining, Lord, draw our attention away from anything that would distract us from your word, from the work of your spirit in our hearts, Lord, teaching us, instructing us, so that we might be more like Christ, that we might love one another as you have loved us, and that we might uh, uh, love the brethren, Lord, out of purity and with a desire to glorify you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I titled this message this evening, Caring for All Kinds of Church Members, and it's going to be uh, one part of a number of parts of, of a message on caring for church members. And I'll make mention near the end of the message that uh, Paul goes on to give all kinds of instructions on how we are to to care for different kinds of people in the church, whether it be widows or whether it be slaves or the rich and so on and so forth. But Paul starts in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, with kind of an introduction and, introduction and a kind of general, uh, general kind of clumping together of, of the church members into kind of two basic categories, older and younger, women and men. And so let me read for you this evening um, verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5, and we'll look at just those two verses this evening. Paul writes here to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, saying, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. It's just two verses, but there's a lot that we can learn from this this evening, and 
as we look into it, I think you'll find that to be true. I want to make mention that there is strong cohesiveness between the end of chapter 4, which I know it's been a few weeks since we looked at that, but perhaps try to recall in your mind uh, some of what Paul was saying to Timothy at the end of chapter 4 about his own conduct, how he was to set an example to the believers in love and purity and other uh, character qualities, other disciplines, if you want to put it that way, virtues, so that he might, by doing so, save himself, that is, we took it to mean sanctify himself and also sanctify others through his example and also through his teaching ministry, exhortation, teaching, and reading of the word, uh, which he writes about in, uh, um, what verse is that there? Uh, in verse 13. And so I want to just call it to your attention that there is a cohesiveness between what he's written at the end of chapter 4 and here now in chapter 5. Remember back at the end of chapter 4 that Timothy is not to allow anyone to what? To despise his youth. That is not to say that he's going to go around and demand respect, you know, respect me because I'm your pastor or I'm your church leader. Rather, the idea is that he is to live in such a way, to conduct himself in such a way that there's no reason, at least no legitimate reason for them to, to despise or scorn him in his leadership and to undermine his credibility as his, their teacher and as, their, as Paul's apostolic representative. So rather, Timothy is then, instead of misconducting himself and undermining his credibility, he's to set an example to the church members in all areas of life, as we said, in speech, in his conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And we'll even talk about that virtue of purity at the end of verse 2. The last, excuse me, the last verse of chapter 4 tells us who Paul has in mind in verses 1 and 2. That is to say that Paul has in mind when he talks about older men and uh, older women, younger men and younger women, he is referring to genuine believers here. Uh, in the end of chapter 4, it's clear that that's what he has in mind, that he's to set an example to the believers to those who are born again. this is We're not talking now about the false teachers who are in the church or those who have apostatized and turned away, but the genuine believers who are actually listening to what Timothy has to, to say and heeding his instruction and following his example. And so when Paul talks here about these, these different categories of people and men and women in the church, he's, he's specifically thinking of the believers, this is how Timothy is to, to treat the believers in the church. Paul's instructions concern those who hear Timothy, that is to say those who actually receive it, and only genuine believers would do that. Unbelievers, uh, unless God's Spirit is working in them, are going to reject what you know, a pastor has to say about God's Word and the truth therein. So, as I just said, those mentioned in verse, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, and even all the way through chapter 6, verse 2, which we'll look at in the weeks ahead, are not referring to uh, the false teachers, because we know that Timothy was to be strong and commanding with the false teachers. He was to be kind of harsh with them, so to speak, not to have the kind of care that Paul is talking about here in verses 1 and 2. And so there's a distinction to be made. 
Paul has in mind different kinds or groups of church members, not the false teachers. Uh, Just kind of drawing some parallelism, though, between the false teachers and and Timothy and how he is to conduct himself, we can reasonably conclude that the false teachers did not set a good example to the church, nor were they caring for the physical nor spiritual needs of the church members. In contrast, Timothy was to do that. He was to be their spiritual caregiver, their meeting, helping to meet the physical needs of the church members, something that the false teachers were greatly lacking in their character and in their actions. And, of course, at times, this spiritual care and physical care may uh, include exhorting a church member. It may uh, mean that you have to appeal to them to change their course of action to correct their thinking or their behavior, and that is not uncaring. That is actually very much so caring. And so when uh, Paul says here that they are to exhort, he is to exhort him, that is uh, an older man as a father, it's an an act of care for this person. And so as could be said about older, uh, older women and younger men and younger women. This, of course, at times can be awkward and difficult to do if, uh, you know, if the exhortation isn't just a word of encouragement but really a, a kind of a rebuke or an, you know, an appeal to change one's behavior because at times, you know, unfortunately, it's not always the younger person you're doing it to. If you're a church in church leadership, there's often times you may have to exhort an older believer, an older man or an older woman, Woman, And that can be difficult. It can be awkward at times. And so Paul gives Timothy some practical instruction on how to guide him through that difficult and yet somewhat somewhat awkward situation in the church. Because it is his responsibility, he can't just shirk it and say, well, it's too awkward, it's too difficult, I'll leave it to some other church member that's more of his peer or her peer. Um, not that we can't delegate responsibility of encouraging and exhorting, but at times the pastor, the church leadership has to do that. They just have to take action, and it's not always easy. Yet we have, as church leadership and anyone who serves in church leadership, this responsibility to care for all kinds of church members, not just the ones that are friends, our peers, so to speak, but all church members. Though Paul is writing specifically to Timothy, as we noted, we, I think, can all agree that these principles apply to all church members. It's not just Timothy who is to regard all kinds of church members in a specific kind of way, as we'll we'll look at this evening, but this applies to believers generally. All of us are to consider how we are to relate and care for one another. And so... As we look into the text this evening, think in your mind, how are you caring for all kinds of church members? Are you following the example that Paul gave to Timothy? Or are you saying, oh, this is just for the pastor? No, it's it's all of our responsibility. Inevitably, how we care for one another and treat one another ought to look different than how the world treats one another. It ought to look different than how men treat other men in the workplace or how men treat women in the workplace or in the home, how young men treat older men, and how young men treat other young women. 
The world has its ways of doing things and allowance of doing things. Yet, inevitably, or inherently, I should say, the church should conduct itself differently. How we relate with others in the church should look drastically different than what the world acts and how they behave toward one another. And so, my one major point for this evening is how believers are to care for men and women of all ages. First, we see that uh, caring, we are to care for older men, younger men, older women, and younger women in a certain way that Paul is going to outline here. Now, older men here refers to those who are naturally older than Timothy. Remember, Timothy is the, the uh, specific person being written to, so we have to keep in mind the, the one being written to. And so, from his perspective, older men would likely be anyone, you know, anywhere from late 20s to, you know, the aged, the elder, elder ones. Timothy may have been in his late 20s all the way to his mid to late 30s. We don't know exactly his age at this time. But when Paul says older, older men, he has in mind those who are at least Timothy's age, if, if not older. You might find it interesting, since we looked at the, uh, this earlier on in 1 Timothy, that the, the same word uh, for elder, or the same word you hear used for older man is the same word as elder, which we talked about earlier on in 1 Timothy in reference to the actual official office of an elder. But Paul here is not talking about this office of elder, the pastor, as we more commonly call that person in that office. He's not using it in the, tech, in the technical sense here to refer to the office of elder. Rather, he's just using it generally to f- refer to those who are older in age. Younger men refers to those who were probably uh, in their late teens to early 20s. I uh, doubt he has in his mind, you know, those little ones, you know, the little tots running around. Uh, uh, but rather those who are coming into their youth, uh, adolescent years, all the way up to those who are, our Tim- who's, who are Timothy's age. Of course, then, you might suspect that older women refers women refers to those who would be the age of perhaps Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Think of the two that Paul mentions later on. Uh, who who uh, taught Timothy the scriptures, uh, Lois and Eunice, I believe, are their names. And so uh, these kind of this the kind of description helps us understand from Timothy's perspective who Paul has in mind. Now Paul goes on to tell us here in verse one how the manner in w- of the manner of care of church members how. How is Timothy to care for the church members? In in what manner? Look with me at verse 1. He says, do not rebuke, it's the key word there, do not rebuke that verb, an older man, but, in contrast, the second verb here, just as important, exhort him as a father. So do not rebuke, but exhort. The care that Timothy is to show toward older men is not one of harshness. He is not to be harsh with older men. The word here, rebuke, in the Greek literally means to strike at something, like a blow. 
It's uh, the term here mentioned is only found here in the New Testament, and it describes a severe verbal pounding. It's like as using as if using your your words to throw punches at someone. And Paul is just saying, "Have none of that, Timothy. Do not treat older men in such a way. We shouldn't treat anyone in that way, but especially those who are older than us, older than you, Timothy. Don't do this. Do not care. Do not." exhort with harshness, but uh, do it with, with gentleness, as we'll, we'll note in a moment here. Think for a moment with me with perhaps someone who is caught in sin in the church. What do they need at that moment? Do they need the hard verbal pounding of another believer telling them how wrong they are? Why did you do that? You're stupid. <laughs> Stop doing that. No, if they are repentant about that sin, they are not to be hammered at with harsh words. In fact, the NASB, uh, uh, the translation emphasizes the kind of rebuke that Paul is prohibiting. It says, do not sharply rebuke. Don't be verbally pounding them with your, with your words. This calls into mind, uh, I think it's in Second Peter 5, where... It's told that the elders should not take, no, not lord over the flock. Do not be aggressive with them. Do not abuse them. Don't uh, take your position of leadership as a means of a power grab to, you know, to wield your sword at them, to get them to do what you want through, you know, through harsh words. Rather, care for them tenderly, like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Pastor should not beat them into submission. He should lead them into submission. He is to follow the example of Christ in his leadership and seek to lovingly admonish when necessary. I think the prime example of following Christ's example in this is uh, Christ's correction of Peter's actions. Remember, after Peter denied the Lord. And it's not like immediately after his, his resurrection, he went up to Peter and, you know, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? You see what it led to? <laughs> no, rather, on the seashore there, he simply and lovingly corrects him. You follow that example of Christ in admonishing others. Of course, all that to say, the pastor is not the only person who cares for the church members. That is all of our responsibility not just the under-shepherd. Church members are to be caring for one another as well, admonishing when necessary. But admonishing doesn't always mean, you know, correcting. It may mean encouraging, exhorting them to think more clearly about something or to, to serve better, to take up another task that you can see they're gifted in. This means that although these instructions are directed at Timothy, in the immediate context, they generally apply to all believers. We are all to be partaking in this responsibility of, of exhorting, not rebuking harshly, pounding others with our words, but rather lovingly seeking to lead them and encourage them to do what is Christ-like. And so we see then the positive kind of exhortation, or not to use the word there, but a positive kind of command He's not to rebuke harshly, rather he is to exhort him as a father. So we can say the care is 
not to be harsh, rather care is to be encouraging. It is to be an encouraging kind of care over the flock. The word exhort means to urge strongly or to appeal to someone to do something, to urge someone to think, again, maybe more clearly or think differently about something because it's not aligned with Scripture. It means to exhort one or to encourage someone. So rather than coming at a believer with uh, clenched fists ready to strike, we are to appeal to the brother or sister with open arms. It's not coming at them with blows, but coming and wrapping your arm around them, appealing to them to change their behavior or think differently. It's to take your arms and come alongside him or her and uphold them when they have fallen, not beat them down further. I was thinking about this and Perhaps from the perspective of the one that's being exhorted, what is meant and what is genuinely meant to be encouragement may feel like blows. It may feel like you're being attacked. But what may seem, I put in quotation, seem like hurtful blows from another believer who is trying to encourage and exhort you to live Christ-like is not actually uh, originating from that brother or sister. That's originating from your conscience at work in you. It's your conscience convicting you that what they are saying is actually right, yet you're perceiving them to be harsh and mean and unloving. But that's hopefully and likely not the case. They're really appealing and trying to Seek your best interest. But, as I said, it may actually seem like they're being harsh when they're actually not. Of course, a genuinely repentant believer will not see it that way, and they'll accept those words and say, yes, I see what you're saying. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Help me. Pray for me. Help me back up. It is easy to dismiss what they say as being harsh because it is hard to hear. Well, that is actually good exhortation, not the harsh kind of rebuke that Paul is prohibiting. So care is not to be harsh. Care is to be encouraging. Thirdly, care is that which is familial. It is a familial care. Look what Paul says here. He says, exhort him as a father, and exhort younger men as brothers, exhort older women as mothers, and exhort younger women as sisters. You see there the familial kind of relationship that we are to have with the believers? When it is necessary, for Timothy in this case, but apply it to yourself, to correct an older man, We are to do so with respect, just as you would your own father. Paul instructs Timothy to treat older men with respect by appealing to him as if he were his father. I hope, in the best-case scenario, if, if you still have your father around, that you wouldn't go to him and be harsh with your words, even if you're older in age. 
you know, even if you're not in your adolescent years, but in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s even, if your father's alive that long, you appeal to him with, with a tenderness, with respect, with honor still for him. Likewise, when encouraging or exhorting, correcting younger men, Timothy is to treat them as brothers, not inferior to himself, but treat him as a brother, one who is right alongside of him, equal standing. You know, I'm not better than my two other brothers. I'm just a brother like them to my parents, and so I treat them equally, not as inferior, but as one of my own brothers. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy to do with younger men, to treat them as as if he is one of their brothers, and they are one of his. Similarly, Timothy is to appeal to older women as mothers. Think in your mind, I hope that you have a good relationship with your mother or did, how you treated her tenderly, loving her, lovingly. She is your nourisher, was your nourisher, your, perhaps your biggest advocate and encourager, perhaps your biggest evangelist if she was a believer, wanting to see you come to Christ and that kind of motherly relationship that you have, she has towards you and the one you have toward her. Finally, Timothy is to treat younger women as sisters. The idea here then is simply, if I can kind of, kind of summarize it, is that Timothy is to treat the church members as if they were family. This, of course, I think... Uh, I can't get past the fact that it draws upon the metaphor of the church as being the household of God. We are all part of God's household. In other words, the pastor is not the CEO and the church members are not his employees. He's not there barking out orders. Rather, there is a family relationship. It's kind of funny because there's a lot most companies most businesses advertise themselves as being you know a family atmosphere you know we're all part of the family but you know you work there long enough and you realize they're still bosses and they're still managers and you're still just an employee um, with uh, you know with a salary but in the church it's not to be that way there is to be the kind of familial care toward one another We are, of course, as I said, the family of God, the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 uses this kind of metaphor to talk about the church, as well as uh, Ephesians 3.15 and Galatians 6.10. And as such, we are all spiritually related to one another, and therefore ought to treat one another just as we should treat our father, our mother, our brothers, or our sisters by blood. The operative then idea here is that Timothy should stop to think how he would treat his own father, his own brother, his own sister, and his own mother. How would I treat them? Well, that's then how I should treat others in the church of like status. Of course, you know, the, the right response to that kind of question in your mind of how would I treat them would be, well, I would respect and honor my father and mother, because scripture tells me to do that. I would be lovingly concerned about my brothers and sisters if they're walking in sin or not 
living like they ought to. That's the kind of proper response a, a believer would have toward, toward them. Now, let me back up, back up for just a moment. Um, I said, uh, being spiritually related to one another, we, we treat one another just as we should treat our Father. And that word should is an important word there because we often fail to treat them as Scripture commands us to. And uh, just thinking of you know today's holiday, Father's Day, using that kind of as the example, because on Father's Day or Mother's Day, you know, maybe growing up, you know, depending on which day it was, whether Father's Day or Mother's Day, your mom might say, all right, today you have to do everything your father wants you to do and, you know, listen to everything he has, you know, tells you to do. And, you know, the one day that as a kid you, you know, you actually try to, you know, treat him like he ought to be treated. And using that, you know, as kind of a silly example, you know, that's the kind of the should example, you know, the, the prime example of how we ought to aspire to treat one another every day. Lovingly, caring, caringly treating him or her with the utmost respect and love. Not the every other day kind of mundane way in which we fail often in doing. Finally, finally he says uh, in verse 2, Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity all purity. So the care is not to be harsh, it is to be encouraging, it is to be familial, and it is also be, to be a care that is a care, uh, caring with purity. Of course, uh, with all purity is most closely related to the, the immediate phrase right before, which has to do with younger women, and I think there's a reason for that, that he places it there this prepositional phrase here, with all purity. Because when it comes to Timothy, it's especially important that Timothy, a young leader in the church, relate properly to the younger women. Why? Well, I think it's obvious because there can be the temptation of lust for someone that is younger, perhaps most likely you know, attractive in that young age and perhaps available, so to speak, not married or widowed, even at a young age, perhaps. The temptations then were no less than they are now in terms of, of personal contact with women today. In fact, if we could say it's probably even more difficult in many ways, much more temp- many more temptations, not just for the pastor, but for any member in the church as he looks upon other church members. Inevitably, there's going to be at least one young woman in the ch- young woman in the church, and so even if it's the case that there's only one, all the men in the church must uh, conduct themselves and take take the time to think about how they are going to treat this this woman. John MacArthur says this uh, kind of phrase, and I thought he said it well about this idea of treating younger women as sisters with all purity. He says, by commanding Timothy to treat the younger women as sisters, Paul stresses that he must be indifferent to them in terms of lust. There are a few things, excuse me, there are a few things as evil as a pastor who sins mentally or physically with a young woman he had been helping spiritually. And it's so sad the case so often that a pastor is 
seeking to counsel, perhaps, a woman. He doesn't take the necessary precautions in that. And in, in desiring or in, in, in a motivation, at least initially, to help her spiritually, he himself falls into sin and also perhaps even uh, uh, causes her to sin even more in addition to whatever she was dealing with and going to him for help. And oh, what a mess. What a mess that is. He goes on to say uh, that, well, let me say that last uh, sentence again. There are a few things as evil as a pastor who sins mentally or physically with the young women he had been helping spiritually. That is nothing less than incest in the spiritual family. It's an interesting kind of way of thinking about it. For that reason, Paul adds the phrase, in all purity, or with all purity, depending on the translation. So then, in all dealings, Timothy's, in all Timothy's dealings with women, he is to strive to be pure in every way. In terms of chastity and moral purity and his thoughts, his desires, his interactions with a woman in the church. You know, you don't go off in some room, you know, at least one without a window, you rather, you relate with her as if she is your sister. That doesn't mean, though, getting over comfortable with her either, you know, like I might with my own sister, you know, and giving her an embrace and maybe even giving her a kiss on the cheek or something like that. And, you know, I've had the uh, responsibility lately of caring for my sister and some of the grief that she's going through. And so in some ways, there's still a difference, perhaps, that we draw between, you know, sister by blood and a sister in Christ, but nonetheless, there is that important idea that we are to treat them as a sister, and actually that is then a protection, because if you view her that way, then you will not desire to have any kind of immoral thoughts toward her. And although I think this specifically applies to Timothy's relationship to younger women, I think it also broadly applies to all of these categories we've talked about, that we are to conduct ourselves with purity toward all the believers, older women, younger men, older, uh, older men, and of course, you know, we know of some of the kind of problems that have gone on even in the Catholic Church in this area that extends beyond, uh, uh, as unthinkable as it is, beyond even this younger women problem, but even to uh, men as well. Now, I wanted to back up just for a moment, something I wanted to say earlier on um, in regard to not rebuking harshly, but exhorting. And um, what Paul is not saying is that there's never a time to rebuke, but that we're not to do it harshly. There are times that that needs to be done. And I was thinking even in uh, for us in our westernized world and our kind of individualistic and maybe more direct way of thinking and talking, it's perhaps easy to overly exhort <laughs> to and become harsh in our words because, well, you know, we don't want to, we just kind of want to cut to the chase. And this is, how, this is how it needs to be and this is what you ought to do and how you ought to think. And though there's times to be direct, we need to make sure we're not overly direct in such a way that we become harsh and unloving. The opposite, though, could be said in certain cultures, and I'm no you know, cultural anthropology expert, but I do know of, of, of some other cultures, and you know, we 
sometimes they categorize it as hot and, and cold climate cultures. And uh, in our, we would be considered a cold climate, meaning more direct in our speech and how we you know, interact with others, more individualistic. A warm climate would be more community-centered, family-centered, and less direct, more indirect. And so perhaps in our context, we have you know, more of the issue of being overly direct and harsh, while in other churches, churches even in South America, they have perhaps the opposite challenge, being too indirect. And they would look at this passage and even you know, have difficulties of saying, you know, how do I go to an older man? Because in their society, perhaps you know, older men are elevated even beyond what we do in our society and say, I can never go to an older man and tell him you know, he's, he's wrong. But that's equally wrong as well. So as believers, at times we need to lay aside the cultural norms and say, well, this is just our culture. We're just direct. Or this is our culture. We're indirect. And so we have another older man go to him. At times we have to overcome that because that is a human-made standard or norm. And we have to say, what is God saying? How does God want me to treat others? And then respond in the proper way. Caring, not harsh. Encouraging, as if they were family with all purity, Paul says. Well, in the following paragraphs, Paul is going to discuss how Timothy should care for different groups of people, not just uh, uh, men and women and younger and older, but also more specific categories, such as widows. We see this in chapter 5, verse 3 to 16. He's going to go on to tell us how we are to care for elders in chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. Then slaves in chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. And then later on, the, the rich as well in chapter 6, 17 to 19. And also he, he briefly uh, speaks about elders as well. Uh, I already said that, yeah, in, in verses 17 to 25. So as we close this evening, I just encourage you with this simple idea of how are you caring for the church? They are your family. And although we don't always treat our family as we should, we ought to be following Christ's command, God's command, to treat them as we should treat our own family. Imperfect as it will be, we strive to to do it well, to do it like Christ loves the church and how God loves his children, the children of God. Let's close in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, Pray now as we go that we would go with brotherly love. Lord, that we would see those sitting beside us, behind us, in front of us in church. Lord, as family. And love them and care for them. Which may mean going to them. And as difficult and awkward as it may be, saying, brother or sister, I'm concerned for you. Let me appeal to you about this. Let me urge you to, to do this or stop doing this because I love you, not trying to land on you harsh blows, but trying to help you. I love you. Lord, help us to do that with all purity, especially as men toward women, but also women toward men and the older and the younger and vice versa. Lord, we don't want to undermine our, our work of loving one another and admonishing one another by behaving pure, poorly, but follow the example 
that Paul said and that Christ ultimately set for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.